all right? Here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the first instruction of the Passover. And if you want to follow along in your notes today, those are provided in your bulletin on the back of your order of service outline. And I want to start off reading uh, uh, a fair portion of Scripture. It's Exodus 12, 1 through 30, but uh, it's a pretty good portion, but also has a pretty good author. So I think we're going to be okay. Right now, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what the Scripture says. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year of you. So this is pretty interesting right now that this is the first time that year, or I'm sorry, a calendaring system was introduced. Right now, here's where we first figure out where the first month of the year was ever created, and it's in relation to Passover. He said, This is going to be the first month of the year for you. And uh, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in the fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall not let any of it remain until morning. Uh, And if it does, you shall burn it with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses. Somebody say sign. Shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Let's pause right there today. Let me read this last verse again. It's so good, you've got to hear it twice. This day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast. To the Lord throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. How long are the people of God instructed to keep the Passover? Everlasting. Does everlasting have an end date? That means forever you're supposed to keep the Passover. Now here's what I never understood in, Old, in New Testament Christianity. When I grew up in the church and... and uh, I read this passage where it says, you shall keep it as an everlasting ordinance. And from what I've seen, most Baptists don't get together on Thursday night, put a goat on the fire, and have a staff in the hand. But we should observe it. Let me tell you why. Because it's a memorial forever. For all generations. Now, this Thursday, we're not going to roast a lamb, a goat on the fire. We're not going to have bitter herbs. We're going to take the bread and the juice. Our Lutherans will take the wine, Baptists will take the juice. Hey, it's a symbol anyway, amen? We're going to do it because this, what we read today, directly ties into what Jesus did at the Last Supper. Here's point number one today. 
the Passover was first a sign to the Egyptians. I want us to look at the signs of the Passover today. Who it was assigned to and why it was assigned. The Passover was assigned to the Egyptians first when it was created. It says in Exodus 12, 12, On that same night I'm going to pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. See, it's hard to put this in context. Because what we've got to remember is up until this point... There were nine other plagues. Nine other plagues sweeping through the land of Israel. There were locusts, which is like big fiery grasshoppers. There was uh, rivers that turned to blood. There was frogs everywhere. On and on and on. Every time Moses kept going to the Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. When I was in children's camp, fourth grade, we sang this song. It said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. Ay, 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 something like that. But I've always remembered it. Hey, hey, Pharaoh, let the people go. That's what it was. That's how important songs are. Because when I was in fourth grade, I still remember it now. We sing our theology. And every time, nine plague, plague after plague after plague after plague, Pharaoh would not let the people of God go. His heart was hardened Until God said, I'm going to strike the firstborn of every in the land. Doesn't matter if it's Egyptian or Jew. And the Jew, the only way I will not strike the firstborn is if you take an innocent animal and you slaughter it and you paint the blood on the doorpost. Can you imagine the Egyptians walking by and here's the Jews painting blood? Man, what in the world are they doing? Just like Art Deco, something going on I don't know about. And everywhere, how many Jews was in Egypt? Millions, millions of doorposts of blood. If you were an Egyptian that day, I would have gotten pretty scared. Oh my gosh. Every one of them was painting blood. Something's about to go on. And it went down. And God came. And the firstborn of every family of Egypt that did not have the blood over the doorposts was taken. Can you imagine the wailing and the anguish in that city that night when millions upon millions of firstborn sons. Now when I was younger and I read firstborn for some reason I thought little boys. I always thought little boys. But the firstborn son could have been 18. The firstborn son could have been 22, 25 or 7. We don't know, but the firstborn son was the strongest in the house. It's who the dad relied on. Many times the Egyptian fathers were sent out to batter. And the firstborn son was the only one able to carry the load in the house. And he was taken that night as a sign to the Egyptians that the God of Israel is the one true God. The Passover was the last plague out of ten. The purpose of the Passover first was to execute judgment upon Pharaoh. And upon Egypt for not being obedient to the commands of the Lord. The purpose of the Passover was to execute judgment upon the sins of the Egyptians. Because I don't know about you, but if big fiery grasshoppers came out and and, uh, uh, things in the river start turning to blood and huge frogs are everywhere, I'm going to think the real God is up to something. I'm going to think maybe I need to be paying attention. Do you know why it says... 
It says miracles and signs and wonders aren't even enough to make you believe. You see, without the intervention of the Spirit, even me and you wouldn't believe. Unless God worked upon us and removed the veil from our heart. The Passover was a sign to the Egyptians. Secondly, the Passover was a sign to God. What do you mean by that? The Passover was a sign to God. Here's what it says in Exodus 12, 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for your house where you are. And when I see the blood, that's what God says. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land. I know we always have the connotation that the spirit of death was hovering through Egyptians. But let me tell you who the spirit of death was. It was the wrath of God. It was the justice of God. It was the holiness of God. It was God coming to pour out His wrath from a holy and righteous God against people who, get this, deserved it. And God says, if you put the blood, it's going to be a sign to me. I'm going to see the blood. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Because if you were a Jew and were not obedient and did not put the blood on the doorposts, God would not see that there has been an atonement for sin. Oh, that's a good instruction, Lord. Man, do you, do you think he's really going to do that? Nah. Let's just, let's, just have a, let's just have chicken tonight. Did the Jews eat chicken? I don't know if they did. But if they weren't obedient, and if they didn't slaughter the goat, and if they didn't paint the blood... There would be no sign to God. Let me tell you something, friends. When you and I stand before God on Judgment Day, there's going to be two questions. Is there blood or is there sin? If you've covered with the blood of the sacrificial Lamb of God, the Son of God, that's a sign that there has been atonement. And guess what? It won't be the Passover. It will be the pass-through. Pass-through into the gates of Almighty God forever and ever. The Passover was a sign of obedience. It was a sign that they had done what God had told them. It was a sign that they had heard. The Passover was a sign of sacrifice. God saw that something died. Something died so they wouldn't have to. Think about this. Something died so they wouldn't have to. It was a sign to God. And the Passover was a sign of redemption from the curse. What curse are you talking about? God executed a curse that on every firstborn, he didn't delineate. He didn't say only firstborn Egyptian. He said every firstborn in the land is under a curse. And the Passover was a sign of redemption from the curse. That if you've taken that blood from an innocent animal, you've been redeemed. I mean, how simple. Honestly, how simple. Either you die or take an animal. I mean, which one of you would really sit there and deliberate about that option? Me dead. Animal. I can't, I can't do it. How many of you would just say, man, take the animal? And that's the choice of salvation. Either believe that you can make it to heaven, or believe that someone died. Either believe that it's up to your choices, or it was up to his choice. Either you die, or see that Jesus died. That's salvation. Simple. It was a sign of redemption from the curse. Here's my last point, but I'm going to spend a majority of time there. Last point is this. The Passover was a memorial for the children 
The Passover was a memorial to the children. Now this is going to be important. We've got to get this. Not only was it a one-time event, but God established the Passover to be a lasting ordinance so that every year, I'm not sure in the biblical timeline what year this happened. Let's say it was three or 4,000 years ago. But for 4,000 years, there was supposed to be a Passover. All the way up until Jesus came, and even Jesus himself was at the Passover. He observed it. It was a memorial for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You're going to see why it was a memorial. Here's what it says, 1214, this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Now I want you to fast forward to verse 26 here. We're going to see. We're going to see that there's a command contained in these instructions that is repeated three times. Whenever God tells you something once, you need to listen. If God tells you something twice, you need to write it down. If God tells you something three times, it's so important that the Holy Son of God, the Holy Spirit, mentioned it three times, and we're going to see what it is. Verse 26 starts, it says, And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say to them, it is the Passover, sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptian and delivered our households. So the people bowed their head and worshipped. Wow. Let me read another translation. It says, when your children ask you what did this ceremony mean, tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites and spared our homes. Let me tell you something, folks. The Passover was instituted because of what God did for you. For thousands of years, when children said, Daddy, why are we killing a lamb? Daddy, why are we eating bitter herbs? Daddy, why are we not eating leavening? For thousands of years, daddies would say, because of what God did for you. Now, yet I've tied this in here. The title of this message is Stewards of Remembrance. Stewards of Remembrance. How does this tie in with stewardship? I want you to know that your stewardship in everything you do has a purpose. Everything that you're a steward of, everything that you're obedient to, has a purpose for someone to see it and ask why. Hmm. That's going to marinate for a minute. Everything that we're a steward of has a purpose. So that somebody will say, you know what, why are you going to church on Saturday and, and, and working for several hours for an Easter egg hunt? Why are you taking time out of your day to do that? And when your neighbor says that, you can say, because of what God did for us. And it starts out when your children say, Daddy, why do we go to church every Sunday morning? Because of what God did. Daddy, why do we get up and we have to get the family up at 6 a.m. so we can be here at an early service because the preacher now wants to have two services now? Why do we do that? Because of what God did for us. Why do we come on Wednesday nights in the middle of our week to have a prayer meeting and fellowship together and hear the word? Because of what God did. It's a sacrifice of your time. It's a stewarding of your time. And it has a purpose because of what God did. So firstly... We observe not only the Passover for thousands of years, but any form of stewardship because of what God did for you. Secondly, fast forward to next chapter, Exodus 13, 8. Again, we're still, we're still here 
on Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Exodus 13, 8 says this. And you shall tell your son in that day, this is done because of what the Lord did for me. Somebody say me. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. On that day, tell your son, I'm doing this, son. I'm sacrificing this innocent animal because of what God did for me. He rescued me from bondage. He rescued me from slavery. He took me to a place where I was going to be ushered into the promised land. He took me out of the grip of the Pharaoh and gave me freedom and liberty. Son, why are we doing this? Because of what God did for me. You see, I imagine, I don't know the way we do this, but maybe we should rethink this. Maybe on Saturday night before church, families should sit down together with children at the table at Saturday dinner. And you make out your offering for Sunday. And when the children say, Daddy, why are you giving money to the Lord? The answer, because of what God did for me. See, the problem is we come here Sunday morning and we write our checkbook while we're in our pew and we put it in the plate and our children never see the sacrifice that is going on. They never see the act of obedience and we're being a steward because of what God did for me. And the purpose of sacrifices are so that children can see them and ask why. Why are you doing this? I have observed two schools of thought when it comes to giving. I want to relate these two for a moment. The first school of thought is what I call Old Testament school. And this school says you give 10% because that's what the law says. I've heard these schools of thought. I've heard angry preachers say, you give 10% because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Old Testament says. The only problem with this is it creates a mentality of fear instead of a mentality of worship. Because then a young person says, What if I don't? Is God going to be mad at me? And here's what happens is you put the burden of the law back into effect by creating a fear mentality. So the first school of thought is called the Old Testament school. The second school of thought, it says, if you give God 10%, God will give you back even more. Now the problem with that mentality is that it creates a pattern for the incentive of receiving. See, if... I give to God because he's going to give back. Then I'm giving to him for what I get. Y'all follow me? Now here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you in both of these schools what I call the Old Testament school and what I call the, uh, the give back school. I want to tell you I agree with both of those. I believe they're both true. I believe the law in the Old Testament was giving as a blessing. And by following the pattern of Jesus who perfectly following the law... That keeps our mind and our spirit purified to be used by the Spirit. The opposite of this would be to say that I do not agree with following the law of God. Can anyone say I don't agree with following the law? No. The law is given as a purpose. And it helps us uh, maintain our holiness. And the law is good. And the law leads us to Christ. I agree with that. We don't throw out the law in the New Testament because we are under grace. No matter of fact, it's grace which allows the law to no longer be a burden but instead be a blessing. Secondly, I agree with the statement that when you give to God, He always gives back. I agree with this. I told Bill, she- Bill Pallas I was going to share a story about him. And it's a great story. Bill Pallas would always say that he would stand up in his old church called Oak Ridge, Oak, Oak Ridge Baptist. And he would make a challenge before the whole church. And he says, if anyone gives 10% to the Lord for six months and you don't have more money, if God doesn't give back more at the end of six months, 
Then what you started with, he said he would give them their money back. And he said in 30 to 40 years of making that challenge, no one ever said they had less. No one ever said they had less. Why is that? I do believe when you give to God, he gives back. I believe it. I agree with Malachi 3, verse 10 that says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing, that there will not be room enough to store it. And what's interesting about Malachi 3.10 is it is not a law, it's a challenge. God gives a challenge. But here's what I want to do today. I want to present a third option about giving, a third option about stewardship that's not about the command and it's not about the blessing. And here's what it's about. The option that I want you to see is called giving because of the cross. Here's what I want you to see. And I think this will forever change our mindset about stewardship of our time, our resources, and our praise. When we see today what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary, we won't have any other option than to give. When you see what Jesus did on that tree, the only option is to give. See, here's what the, the, first, the old option says. The old option looks at the command... The second option looks at the benefit. The third option just looks at the blesser. See, the third option just looks at the cross. I don't, I'm not worried about why God said it. I'm not worried about what will happen afterwards. All I know is that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died for me. If we could fathom today the depth of wealth and riches that became available to us on Calvary, what God gave us on Calvary, how could anybody keep a closed pocketbook when you see the wealth that came through Jesus? If we could only see that every bit of righteousness that was in the Son has been given to us, oh God, we can't help but give. I'll give you an example. Brother Ken at see I know he's back in Sunday school. The other day, Brother Ken came over to my house and he brought up his his backhoe because we had to till up my front yard, fix a drainage line, long story. So after that, he he helped me. I was gonna go take him to get lunch. We went down the crossroads in Midland, and they were cash only. And me and Ken both, we only had we only had ten dollars. And I brought home something for Bella. It was eighteen dollars total. I lacked eight dollars. Well, there's a nice-dressed gentleman beside us. I said, ma'am, I only have $10. And he said, I got you. I said, are you serious? This man know, doesn't know me from Adam. He says, I, I'll pay $8 to a perfect stranger. Do you see what kind of thankfulness that welled up in me when a guy who had no care for me, had no need that I didn't deserve, gave for me? Now let me tell you something. Here's what Ken went. He went across the road to the ATM so he could give more money to give this man back. What happened is when he saw the gift, he wanted to give back. Do you see that process? He wanted to go bless him back. And when we see that he gave an undeserved gift, that means that I want to give unmerited gift back. Not because I have to. Not because something's going to happen. Just because I want to. You see... When your son or daughter says, Mommy, why do we give money to church every Sunday? You can say, because Jesus gave everything for me. 
It's no wonder that 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says the Lord loves a cheerful giver because that's the only kind of Christian that there is. There's no thing as, as an uncheerful Christian. You, you see that? There is no such thing as an uncheerful Christian. If you're not cheerful because of the cross, you ain't seen the cross. We can't help but give when you see what Jesus did for us. That you didn't deserve it. That he didn't have to, but he saved you anyway. The true forgiver has realized the depths of unspeakable riches that we are given for eternity. The true forgiver has realized that the peace that passes all understanding was given to you by the means of grace. The true forgiver has seen that God delivered us from the Pharaoh's hand of sin because of the sacrificial blood of an innocent lamb. The cheerful giver says, my God, my God, you gave it all for me. I can't help but give. Then the third, the third and last, is Exodus 13, 14, says this. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him by strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of the hand of Egypt, out of the hand, out of the house of bondage. Number one, we tell our children we sacrifice because of what God did for you. Number two, we tell our children we sacrifice because of what God did for me. And lastly, we tell our children we sacrifice because of what God did for us. That the blessing didn't have to just be available to the whole family. He could have just saved the mama. He could have just saved the daddy. But maybe God in his sovereignty and grace has chosen fatherhood and parenthood and child rearing to grow the kingdom of God. And with expectation, I believe that my daughter will become a Christian. And I say we give because of what God did for us. I don't know everything. I don't have omniscience like God. But I tell Bella, I pray every night. I pray every night with Bella. We say, God, help Bella to always love Jesus. And one day she asked me, I said, Bella, are you going to be a Christian one day? She says, well, it depends. So what kind of costumes do they wear? Some Christians do wear a lot of costumes. Here's the great thing about a, Christ, about a Christian. It's not what costume you put on, but the costume you take off. That we can take off sin at the foot of the cross. We can take off this false sense of the burden that comes from Satan. And we can take it off at the cross. And we can put on pure freedom. Because of what God did for us. See, the purpose of your sacrifice is that somebody will ask why. Why are you coming out to the church to paint all day on Saturday. Why are you coming out to the church till Friday night at 10 o'clock to practice praise music? Why are you coming out to the church? Are you going to take seven days off at work to go to Haiti? Why are you coming and serving in the nursery and you're going to miss a message? Why are you doing all these things? Because of what God did for me. I'm going to leave the final point to dads. Dad, your purpose in the kingdom is not to bring home the bacon but to bring home the lamb so that your sons and your daughters see sacrifice that testifies to God's glory. Can we pray? Father God,